Well, good morning. You know, if we were to tell the story of your life, the natural starting point would be when you were born, right? That's when you started. That's when your story started. You start at the starting point, which is when you were born. Now, this is the strange part. It is a day you don't remember, yet once a year you celebrate it. You ever thought about that? None of us remember that day. But once a year, we all celebrate it. Now, some of you are going to say, well, Pastor, really what we're celebrating is how old we are. Not really celebrating, we're just celebrating how old we are. Well, let me ask you a question. What's that day called again? Birthday. It's not called old day. It's called birthday. Yeah, you celebrate the day you were born. And not only that, you celebrate the day of, uh, remember, celebrate the, the birthdays of other people. Your spouse, uh, your children, your grandchildren. You get on Facebook and you celebrate, you wish people happy birthday on Facebook. Sometimes they're on the other side of the world, but, but you celebrate their birthday. Apparently, it's a pretty big deal when someone is born. It's a really big deal when that someone is God. So, when was he born? Now, of course, we celebrate his birth on December the 25th. But it's highly unlikely that that's the actual day he was born. Now, it could have been. There's a possibility he was actually born on December 25th, but it really is pretty unlikely that he was. Now, what I find fascinating is that the Bible doesn't give us the day that Jesus was born. I mean, you would think about it. If anybody's birth date ought to be in Scripture, don't you think it ought to be Jesus? I mean, it it just seems natural to me that when you open your Bible, somewhere in this book they would say, on such and such a day, Jesus was born. What's even stranger than that, not only do we not have His birthday in Scripture, but when the Gospel writers tell us the story of Jesus, they start at different places. They don't all start in Bethlehem. They start in different places. Uh, For example, Mark. Mark begins his story of Jesus on the banks of the Jordan River as a grown man. Mark doesn't even have a birth narrative in his gospel. He's telling the story of Jesus, but he doesn't tell us anything about when he was born. Now, uh, the other ones do. Matthew Matthew says, now listen, if you want to understand who Jesus is, don't start in Bethlehem. Matthew says, if you want to understand who Jesus is, you've got to go all the way back to Abraham. And Luke, Luke says, no, if you want to know about Jesus, don't start in Bethlehem. If you really want to know who Jesus is, go all the way back past Abraham. Go all the way back to Adam. So Luke in his genealogy starts there. With the, uh, the genealogy of Jesus, he starts with Adam. John, John says, no, 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 no. If you really want to know the story of Jesus, you can't start with Abraham or Adam. You certainly can't start in Bethlehem. If you really want to know, know the story of Jesus, John says, you've got to go all the way back past Abraham, past Adam. You've got to go all the way back to the beginning of time. In fact, he starts his gospel this way. In the beginning, the beginning of time, in the beginning was the Word Jesus, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. John doesn't start his gospel story of Jesus in Bethlehem. John starts his gospel story of Jesus at the beginning of time. And he says in John 1.14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. John was saying there was a day when this one who is eternal became what we are. There was a day when this one who is eternal became flesh. There was a day when He was born. The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. So, the question is, when did it happen? When was Jesus born? Here's how the Bible describes it. The closest answer we get to that question is found in Galatians chapter 4. If you take God's Word and go with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5 is the closest answer we have to the question, when was Jesus born? Here's what it says, beginning in verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law so that we might receive the full rights of sons. When the time had fully come. That's an important phrase in this text. It's pointing to the fact that Jesus came, He was born at a chosen time. He was born at an appointed time. When God decided the world was ready for the birth of the Savior, that is when He was born. That is when He came. When the time was right. Kind of help you get a handle on that. Uh, Let me show you something I brought with me. You know what this is? You probably can't see it from there. This is a 32 gigabyte Samsung Galaxy S6 telephone. It's brand new. In fact, it's still in the box. Let me tell you why I've got this telephone. Um, I got this telephone because Lisa uh, has had a flip phone for forever. You know? And she finally graduated from the flip phone. She went to the slider. Remember the slider? You slide it up and you got this little keypad about that big where you're trying to text. Well, she's had the slider phone now forever. I've been after her for the longest time trying to get her to get a um, smartphone. And so probably a couple of months ago, she finally relented and said that, that, yes, she probably would get a smartphone. And about three, maybe four weeks ago, we went and bought the smartphone. Here it is. It's still in the box. So she has a smartphone now. Doesn't use it, but she's got one. It's in our it's in our bedroom. If you ever need to borrow it, it's it's really not still got the plastic on it and everything. I asked her a couple of, a few days ago, maybe a week ago. I asked her. I said, "Honey, when are you going to use that phone?" To which she said, "This, I will tell you when it's time." <laughs> I've been married for thirty-two years, so let me translate that for you. Shut up and don't ask me again. (laughs) I've got a plan. You don't need to know the plan. I will tell you when it's time. So, you you see, I think, just personal opinion, I think 
three weeks ago would have been a good time. I think even today would be a good time. We're not doing a whole lot this afternoon. Today would be a good time. But she's got a plan, and she's waiting on the right time. And she's going to kill me this afternoon. <laughs> I, sn I snuck this phone out of the house. She didn't know I had it. But honestly, in her, she's got a plan. I don't know what it is. She's got a plan, and she's got a time in mind. And in the fullness of time, she's going to start using it. Yeah. I'm trying to get to this point. God is just like Lisa. That's a compliment. Okay, here's what I mean. I'm getting, it's getting worse. Here's what I mean. God has a plan. And God's plan, He was waiting for the right time. You see, I'm sure in the Old Testament days, there were, the, uh, there were people who, who thought, when is the Messiah coming? Now would be a good time. 300 years ago would have been a good time. We're under Roman oppression. We're under Babylonian oppression. We're in Babylonian captivity. Now would be a good time for the Messiah to come. But God had a plan. And God had a time in mind. And so when we read in Galatians chapter 4, but when the time had fully come, it implies that preparations were being made behind the scenes for the Savior of the world to be born. Now, have you ever noticed how many references are in the Bible to the birth of the Savior? Have you ever noticed that sprinkled throughout the Bible are references to the fact that this Savior, this Messiah, would not just appear, but He would be born into our world? Now, here's the question. Why is that? Why is it that throughout the Bible that we're told that this, sa this Savior, this Messiah, would be born? Why didn't He just appear? I mean, here, here's a good way to do it. If you want good press coverage, here's the good way to do it. Just split the heavens one day. Let Him descend out of heaven as a 30-year-old man. Say, I'm here to start my ministry. I'm here to be Messiah. I'm here to be Savior. And God could have done it that way. God could have split the heavens. He came down from heaven as a 30-year-old man and just kind of started from there. Why was he born? You got somebody nearby. I'm going to give you this is a different kind of thing for us today. Audience participation. If you got somebody nearby, work on that question for about 30 seconds. Why was he born? Talk to somebody if you can. That means talk out loud. Alright, I'm going to try to answer that question for you at the end of the message. I hope that you formulated some kind of answer in your mind 
And you can kind of check it out as we go through the text today. But I want to go back to Galatians 4.4 4 because we get a hint in this text, Galatians 4.4. 4. Here's what he says. But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law. There's a lot of history tied up in those words. What was God doing during this time? As God was waiting for the perfect time for His Son to be born, what was He doing? And when that perfect time came, what was it that God was accomplishing when the perfect time came for His Son to be born? First of all, God was fulfilling His promise. Walk with me through the, Bible, through the pages of the Bible for a moment. You go all the way back to, to uh, Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, God says to the serpent, after Adam and Eve had have partaken of the forbidden fruit, God said to the serpent, to Satan, that the woman's, watch this, the woman's offspring will crush your head. In other words, God said to Satan, there is coming one, one day, the woman's offspring, which is the first hint we have in Scripture that somebody is coming to be born. That somebody will not just appear, but somebody will be born. The woman's offspring will crush your head. This is the first hint in Scripture that a Savior was coming and the Savior would be born. That was the first promise in the Bible. There's another promise we could look at, and that is to the patriarchs. Patriarchs are the fathers of our faith. That's what the word means. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and some would include Joseph. They were promised by God that there is one who was coming through whom the whole world would be blessed. And this one would be part of their line. This one that was coming would be part of their lineage, would be part of their seed, would be part of their family. Again, a hint, if you will. Somebody was coming that would be born. Somebody from their family line. And yet here's the problem, instead of seeing this one come to be born, this Messiah, this Savior, instead of that, instead of an exclamation point, there was a question mark. Because as each of these uh, patriarchs passed on as they died, they did not see the one that had been promised. And each generation kept looking forward to the next person who might come, to the next generation who may be born. Is it Him? Will it be Him? Where is this Messiah that one day will be born? So God was keeping His promise to the patriarchs. And then there was the period of the kings. If you walk through the Old Testament, after the patriarchs, there was a period of the kings. Kings like David and Solomon were famous kings. They were good kings. They were godly kings. They led God's people. And God promised to David one day that there was one coming from his line, from his family, from his lineage, who would sit on the throne of David forever. Again, another hint that whoever was coming would one day be born. That was God's promise. Yet, if you know your Old Testament history, you know that that period of time ended. The kings died in shame and captivity in Babylon. And for five long centuries from the exile to the birth of Jesus, Israel waited for God to fulfill His promise. And God was in essence saying, I will let you know when it's time. Time's not yet, but the time is coming. 
And I will let you know when it's time. So the first thing this phrase means, verse 4, when the time had fully come, what was God doing during this time? God was fulfilling His promise. Number two, God was also fulfilling prophecy. God was fulfilling prophecy. You see, after the period of the kings, Israel went into a very dark period of time where they were a disobedient and dying nation. Many Jewish people were carried away into slavery. And during this time in slavery, many of God's people grew faithless and cynical. Everyone yearned for the great days of the kings of the past. They wanted the great days of the past when David was in charge or Solomon was in charge. And it was in that context that God raised up some men who were prophets. Men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah. And in that time and in that context, just when the people needed hope the most, God brought these spokesmen onto the scene to call the people back to Himself and to tell them, there is another king that's coming. I know you want David as king again. I know you want Solomon. They are dead and they are gone. But there is another king that is coming. There is another king that you can look forward to, that you can anticipate. And throughout the Old Testament, God's prophets spoke again and again of the birth of this king of kings. Isaiah, 700 years before the first Christmas, Isaiah prophesied that this king, this one that was coming, would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7.14 Micah prophesied that this king would be born in Bethlehem. Isn't it interesting that these prophets were speaking about this king being born. Born of a virgin. Born in Bethlehem. Josh McDowell states that there are 61 prophecies that refer to the birth of Jesus. So this phrase in Galatians 4, when the time had fully come, Indicates not only was God keeping His promise, but God was also fulfilling prophecy. But the third thing it refers to is this. God was breaking the silence. This is where I need you to mark Galatians 4. We'll come back to it. And I need you to go to the Old Testament book of Amos. It's a little prophetic book. Amos, uh, <clears throat> toward the end of the Old Testament. I want you to find Amos chapter 8. If you can find uh, Ezekiel or uh, Daniel, go over to the right and you'll come to the book of Amos. Amos chapter 8. <clears throat> Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord. When I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. During a time of rebellion and a dark time in Israel's history, as God's people got further and further away from God, as this became more and more of a dying nation, a decaying nation, a, de a nation that, were, that was denying God and walking away from God, God said in that time, I just want you to know what's coming. There's a famine coming. And it is not a famine of food or a famine of water. It is a famine of hearing from me. And the Bible says for 400 years, God was silent. 
Malachi was the last prophet to speak in the Old Testament. And for 400 years after Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, 400 years passed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. 400 years of silence. No prophetic voice. No word from God. 400 years of silence. Now I would say to you, a lot can happen in 400 years. I would say to you that 400 years is a long time. Let me show you that to be true. Do you know what was happening in America 400 years ago? First of all, there was no America 400 years ago. You see, that 400 years is so much of a long period of time. Think about this. Jamestown was settled in 1607. The pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock in 1620. Not a lot has happened since then, like the birth of our country, 1776. So, to try to get a reference as to how long 400 years is, imagine from the time of the pilgrims until today, not hearing from God. Imagine from the time of the pilgrims until today, God is silent. No prophetic word. But listen to this, when God is silent, it does not mean that God is still. I can summarize what God was doing in those 400 years in one sentence. God was preparing the world for the birth of the Messiah. I wish I had time to go into what He was doing during those 400 years. But after 400 years of silence, watch this, after 400 years of silence, God finally speaks. When you open the pages of the book of Luke, God speaks for the first time after 400 years. And He speaks to an angel. And the thing that God says through this angel is this, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. I bring you good news of great joy. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. What's that word? Has been what? Born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The first thing that God says after 400 years of silence is the best thing that the world could ever hear. And when that baby began to cry in Bethlehem, hope was born. Now, I was thinking about this. Maybe you can use your imagination as well. Can you imagine how intently Joseph and Mary looked at that little baby as they held him. Knowing he was the Messiah. Knowing he was the Son of God. Can you imagine? Listen, if you've ever had that honor and that privilege of holding a baby for the first time. You just had your baby. Remember what that was like? You just had your baby. They placed that baby in your arms. Do you remember, what it was? Do you remember how crazy it was in your mind to think, I'm a daddy. Or I'm a mom. Do you remember? You look at that little baby and... and It's just crazy how much you love that child. You just met this child. And you love this child like you've never loved anybody. Imagine what Mary and Joseph must have felt and what must have gone through their mind as they looked into the face of this little baby. I wonder if they didn't ask themselves out loud or at least think it, is this the Messiah? Is this the one the prophet spoke about? This baby, our baby, he's just a baby. 
You see, when everybody looked for the Messiah, you know what they were looking for? They were looking for a soldier on a horse. They were looking for this warrior with the sword. They were looking for this military leader to come and free them. They were not looking for a baby. How could an infant be the Son of God? Or for that matter, why would the Son of God be an infant? So we come back to the original question, the one I asked you all to discuss earlier. Why was it necessary that the Savior of the world be born? Go back with me to Galatians chapter 4 and let's try to figure this out real quickly. Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5. Look at what it says. But when the time had fully come, notice this, walk carefully through this verse, God sent His Son. That refers to the fact that Jesus, this one who was born, was divine. It speaks to His divinity. He comes to the earth from the outside, pure and clean. He comes to the earth from heaven. He is not a product of this world. He is not tainted by the sin of this world. God sent His Son. And notice it says that God sent Him. Jesus was not merely a great teacher who became popular. He was sent by God to this world to be our Redeemer. So God sent His Son. That speaks of His divinity. And then it says God sent His Son born of a woman. That shows His humanity. And I've told you before, I'll say it again, whenever you see a word repeated in Scripture in the same verse, it's like a flag waving saying, this is really important. It's like a red light flashing saying, you need to take note of this. And you'll see in verse 4, the word born is used twice. But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that is, subject to the law. He was born to show us His humanity. He is like us in every way. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus is like no one else in the world. Watch this. Everybody look here. He's like no one else in the world. He was fully God. God sent His Son. He was fully God. He was also fully man. Born of a woman. There is nobody else in all of history of which that could be said. Nobody else is all of God. Born and sent by God. And born of a woman. Fully human. And the reason... That He could be our bridge between a holy God and sinful man. It's because He's the only one in all creation, the only one in all history, who was sent from God, divine, born of a woman, human. That's the reason. He's the bridge between humanity and God. Because He was both. 100% God. 100% man. Wrapped up together. So we look at the text, born of a woman, if he had not been born, if he had just appeared as a man, you know what would have happened? If he had not started out as a baby, if he had just been born, I mean just appeared, 30 30 years old, dropped out of heaven and said, I'm here, if he had not been born, you know what would have happened? People would have said, well, he appears to be human, but he's really not. In fact, there was a false teaching in that day that actually said that, that said that when he walked across the beach, he didn't leave footprints in the sand because he was not fully human. He just appeared to be human. But the fact that Jesus was born shows that, yes, indeed, he was fully human. He didn't just appear to be human. He was human. 
Also, the reason that's important for you and me is because if he had just appeared at the age of 30 and started his ministry, we would have said, yeah, yeah, it's great that he's here, but he can't relate to my life. I mean, he skipped the hardest years, right? If he started at 30, he skipped the teenage years. He skipped the young adult years. He just bypassed the hard stuff. He can't, I can't relate to him. He can't relate to me. He doesn't know what it's like to be 18. So let me tell you where he started. He started where you started. He started brand new. He started when he was just a baby where you started. He crawled like you crawled. He toddled like you toddled. He eventually walked like you eventually walked. He lived like you lived. He was a teenager like you were a teenager. He was a young adult like you are a young adult. He's lived the life you lived except for one thing. He lived it without any sin. You see, he lived his life perfectly and he faced every challenge you face. He faced every temptation you face. And the Bible says when he faced those challenges, when he faced those temptations, he did it without sin. Now watch this, watch this. Born of a woman, fully human, sent by God. The perfect sacrifice for you. Why was it necessary for the Savior to be born? Here's the simple answer. Are you listening? Here's the simple answer. You have to be born in order to die. The eternal God can't die. The eternal God can't die. You have to be born in order to die. And so throughout the Scriptures, you will see again and again this emphasis of Christ being born. For unto you is born this day a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And we close it out by looking again at verse 4 and then reading verse 5. But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, and here's the reason, verse 5, to redeem, to buy back those under the law, and here's the reason, that we, that's you and me, that we might receive the full rights of sons. His birth changed the world at the perfect time and for all time. And He can change your life today as well. See here, watch this. Last thing, are you listening? Listen. He was born so that you could be born again. It's no coincidence that he said in John chapter 3, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The one who was born, perfect sacrifice, lived the life that you live, yet without sin. He says, now, you can't just be born physically. We all have been born physically. We all have been born physically. You also must be born from above. You also must be born again. Have you done that? Have you experienced that new birth? Have you been born again? Let's pray about that. Would you join me as we pray? Every head bowed, please. Every eye closed. I just want to ask you very quickly about that. Jesus said in John 3, 3, 
I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. He said in verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. It's not enough to be born physically. Everyone has been born physically. You also must be born again spiritually. I pray that if you've not experienced that, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've not been born again, I pray that today you will. He was born so that you could be born again. Father, thank You for Your grace and Your mercy that is exhibited to us through the birth of Your Savior. That He came to identify with our lives in such a way that He started where we started. And that He lived every day just like we had lived it. Yeah, He lived it without sin. Thank You that He offers us and You offer us eternal life and forgiveness and a home in heaven and a new beginning, a new life. And I pray, Father, that if somebody is here today as we're singing this song, I pray that they will come to yield their heart and their life and not just to submit to You, but to surrender to You and to declare Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.